Welcome to The Lively Show. Let's explore the beauty of being alive. Hello, my friends, and welcome to today's show. I am so excited to be speaking with you. This is one of those get ready with you episodes. It probably will be 20 to 30 minutes long, but let's see how I go. This is a single solo question that I'm going to answer, and it was submitted in A Lively World. For those that don't know about A Lively World, they're like, what is that? Uh, You may have heard of me talk about Team Lively over the years. Now, as we're going into the Bella era of the community and everything you know, connected to our company. We've shifted from Team Lively to Team Alively and A-L-I-V-E-L-Y. World is the name of our little community space that we've created for you. We have, I think just right now, we're about just at 500 members in A Lively World. It's totally free to create a profile. If you want to, you go over to alivelyworld.com or bellalively.com. Either way, you'll get to A Lively World and you'll be able to create a little port like profile, just like a, like a typical social media platform, but it's just our community. And if you've taken any of our classes over the years, your classes are now found in a lively world as well, but it's totally free to join a lively world and you don't have to pay for any classes or anything in order to connect with the community at large, share, make connections, put your pin on the map of a lively world map. If you want to see other people where they are in the world, start to connect and share message, make friends, manifest something. If you want to, you name it. And in there, we also have our wonderful team, a lively angel, Izzy, who has posted in there about suggestions for future Get Ready With You episodes. And this is one of the suggestions. So Jessica had suggested, and she was seconded by Alexandra, who says, I'd love to hear Bella talk about the digital traveling nomading from the inner voice, how she aligns her trips, destinations, accommodations, the ways she travels, things she's learned over the years of doing it, et cetera everything from luggage to what her packing essentials are to the most surprising things we'd never even think to ask. It'd be amazing to hear her share all of this in one place. I know she's done bits and pieces in different places of a nomad life, but for the Inner Voice Community Podcast would be epic. And someone said strongly agreed. Uh, okay, so this is obviously an amazing summary, by the way, Jennifer or Jessica, I should say, we could just like copy paste this and say, this is what the episode is about, because you did such a good job explaining this. So I'm going to look at this in more depth and like kind of piece by piece answer all of these little assets and aspects that she shared. So talking about the traveling digital nomading from the inner or with the inner voice, This is true. It was from and with. There is the slash there from slash with the inner voice. That's literally, I would say, very, very accurate to how I lived. For those that are just listening to this, maybe you've never heard my story before. In 2016, once upon a time, a woman offered to buy my house and all my furniture the week before a trip to Europe. This is like, like literally a fairy tale. I've said it so many times. But that is the beginning of my nomadic life. I didn't even know there was a thing called nomading for probably two years of the first part of this. I thought it would hopefully just be for the summer I'd come back to America, buy a condo in San Diego. That was about as as adventurous as I was. So there's, let me also preface this by saying, there was no itch in me whatsoever as a human in the just character that I was to living nomadically around the world the way that I did. And especially especially not alone. However, I followed my inner voice and I did what it said. I did sell the house. I wanted as the character human of Jess just to find a partner and have a family and a house and just be done with 
I'd like, you know, obviously had got divorced and was like happily doing so, but I was still wanting the same type of life from my mind's perspective that, you know, I had before just with a different partner, basically in a different part of the country, maybe that's as wild as I was thinking at the time. But when the woman offered to buy the house and all the furniture truly was like a, a lineup of events, you can go back to flowing up it, by the way, if you're curious on like, where did all of that coming come from and all the details thereof. So if you haven't heard the whole long epic story, Go back to flowing up if you want to. You can go over to bellively.com and, and purchase that if you want to get the audio series. It also includes the A Lively Adventure. So the first year I did a summary recap of what happened and all of the journey that I had in the first like year or two. And then I did a five-year summary at the point of doing flowing up. So you've got two points of my journey and a lot of detail that I don't share here on the show in that audio series or two audio series included in the purchase of flowing up. So by all means, you can go and get all the lowdown of all of the journey of my experiences in more detail, but I never thought I'd ever be the person I ended up becoming, which was someone who lived in a suitcase for basically five years. I tried to stop twice. I'll also say I tried to stop in Australia in 2018, but a visa didn't work. So even though I got furniture, I got an apartment, I was just innocently... I'll say innocently. I wasn't stupid. I was naive. I wasn't stupid, but I was naively just thinking, oh, this will be easy. I want to live here. I'll get hire a visa lawyer and this will all work out. And it did not work out. The visa lawyer did not do a good job and I did not get the visa. So that kept me flowing on. So even though I did kind of stop for a period of four to five months, it wasn't actually nearly as permanent as my mind had hoped it would be. I also purchased a house in Detroit at one point and again, thought I was done, bought the condo, thought, okay, the, the story's over two or three years into the journey. And even that only lasted, I think I personally only lived in it less than six months. And then I was on the road again in Australia and then renting that condo to someone else for the remainder of my time that I owned it. So I had a few stints of like four to six months in one place, one being Australia, one being in uh, the time that I was in the US for Detroit. But other than that, I was on the road in a suitcase for the better part of basically five years and did not want to do it. So I'll say many people asking this question might now that this has become such a more common way of living. This is not unknown, unfamiliar. This is very I want to say standard, but it's definitely much more normalized than it was. When I got the offer to sell the house, the only human I was aware of personally at the time that had ever attempted anything like selling the stuff and, and not having a home was Liz Gilbert from the book E Pray Love. That was the only reference point I had. And she did it for only one year, if you recall. So I thought I would do it for three months. I, If I knew it was going to be five years, wouldn't have sold the house. I think my mind would have been so shocked and scared by that. But all of this to say, this isn't why you're asking the question, but I'm prefacing my background coming into this was certainly not out of desire, excitement, joy from the mind. It was out of trepidation, but trusting my inner voice. It was true, like a walk of faith from my inner voice, walking into the fog, hoping it'd be done quickly. If I knew how long it would be, i wouldn't have even wanted to do it. But when my inner voice, uh, when I asked my inner voice, even at the, the offer for the house to be sold, I said, should I do it? And I heard yes. And I said, why from the mind? And it said, because you want a life you never imagined before. And I said, oh, how do I know I want it if I can't imagine it? That 
could not have, when you say you want a life you never imagined before, it's one thing to think of like a lifestyle you never imagined before. And for many years, I've always reflected on that answer being like, yeah, you want to live a lifestyle, a way of living you've never imagined before. But here I am as Bella Lively. I, that is like a different life. Like the lifetimes feel like, and it's been very honestly overwhelming in the last few months as I've going into, after launching BellaLively.com with all of you, going through the legal process to change my name and also get my visa for the UK has been a very deep and I say emotionally intense, but energetically, let's call it that way, energetically intense period of time wrapping up so many facets and aspects of what Jess Lively the name was, and also things like Jess Lively had an escrow who knew from that house I sold that I never got returned back to me and I only recently found out. So now I'm getting lots of paperwork for that. I also have a lot of paperwork to go through to change the first name. And I have the process and paperwork for uh, getting the UK visa to move forward. And so there's just a lot of my life and um, details from the character of Jess that has to be looked at at this period of my time. And at the same time, I'm looking ahead into what will be my next chapter and adventure. And it really is because you want a life you never imagined before. It literally now feels like very literally a life, like a not a lifestyle that Jess Lively would have that's different. I did have a very different lifestyle over those years, but now I feel like I have a different life. Like I have a different name. I don't really, I feel like in a way I'm like um, the executor of the will of Jess Lively at this point. I don't really feel, I obviously know that was my name and I'm not like, you know, schizophrenic and think like that doesn't exist. But at the same time, that persona and how I identify doesn't really, all the stories and the memories of that life don't really feel like mine. It's almost like a past life within the same, you know, frame of time. It's like, I just didn't go to the other side and come back in a new body. I'm like doing it on the fly, <laughs> transitioning from one aspect of my consciousness into a new aspect of my consciousness. So that is nothing that Jess has asked about, but random aside on a much more deeper introspective level of all the change, but from the level that Jess actually asked about. So anyone that's looking and excited to make these changes and travel around in your life. And I know a lot of people in the community have done so over the years as well. Let me see if I can answer. So how I aligned the trips, destinations, and accommodations, and the way that I traveled. So for me, obviously, it's following my inner voice. So what I want to say first and foremost is that nobody's inner voice journey authentically will ever look identical. No two, you know, oceans are identical. No two flowers are identical. No two snowflakes are identical. So nature, the nature that we are, the inner voice aspect of ourselves, our true nature does not repeat itself in another flower, in another rainbow, in another cloud. They're all different. So what I did, and I'll share mine, but but the first and foremost, like rule one of Fight Club is that, I don't remember that movie very well, but isn't there like a rule in Fight Club? There's like a quote about like rule number one of traveling with the inner voice is that what I've done is follow my inner voice. I'll share how that led me, but just remember that, for example, when it comes to accommodations and the way I traveled, I traveled using my inner voice and I only once in the five years I was traveling, let's see, 31 to 36 um, in those years. And those years, I only one day booked a, a, what's it called? Not a dorm, a hostel. And that is something that many travelers like to explore 
you know, very or even live out completely. So everybody makes their own choices. For me, the one time that I did that, I didn't even spend the night there. I flowed into a different arrangement instead. So that was just as an example, um, something that I didn't flow into. And even in the time that I did book it, because I heard it was a good one, I didn't even end up staying the night there anyways. So for me, that accommodation piece, my inner voice didn't travel with me through hostels. It didn't want to do that. It used and I, along with it as a mind, booked usually Airbnbs. I often also spent time over five years of travel at different friends' houses. So the one that comes to mind most specifically is obviously, if you remember my journey, Hawaii in Dory's guest house. So the guest house in Hawaii was uh, one of our community members, Dory, came to Australia for a conference that I did called Sea School. And I met her there and then we became friends. And then fast forward, I think I spent one or two trips to her guest house and her her property is incredible in Hawaii. She's just an amazing human on every level. And she has this insane property and has a little guest house that's detached from the main house that she and her husband live in. And so I would stay in the guest house a few different times. And then leading up to COVID, I was trying to decide, do I stay in Bali or do I go to Hawaii? And my inner voice said, the guy that I was dating should decide. And basically he decided to go back to Cape Town, where he was from. And I had just come from Cape Town before Bali. So I didn't really feel like the the flow was going back there. Intuitionally, I knew I didn't want to go back to where I just had come from. But what other I, once he picked going back to Cape Town instead of staying in Bali and seeing what happens with COVID would have been a totally different life had he decided to stay. But my inner voice said, let him decide. He chose Cape Town. And then it was up to me to decide, do I go to Doris guest house she offered or do I stay in Bali? And it came down to the fact that I couldn't find an Airbnb with a comfortable looking sofa <laughs> that if I was sick, I could be sick on the sofa because Bali's furniture, because of the tropical climate, doesn't have very cozy, comfy, slouchy furniture. It's mostly wood and maybe some cushions on top, but not really comfortable if you're sick with something that seemed very scary at the time, like COVID. So we... I ended up here to Cape Town. I ended up leaving Bali and came to Dory's guest house. And I stayed there for what I thought would be a few weeks, three to four weeks max, turned out to be four and a half months. I also have stayed at my friend Didi's house here in London when she's been away for a few weeks at a time as well. So there are times where I've stayed at friends' places. I've also stayed at hotels, but hotels get really old when you're living five years, half a decade. Just like put that into perspective, half a decade of travel, that level of travel is not your average two weeks, two months, you know, two years. This is five, half a decade. So hotels I found were very sparingly used for me because this, I remember this in Vancouver once. I just, I was in Hawaii and I flew overnight to Vancouver because I was in Hawaii in a different property at a different time. I was in a hotel or I thought it actually would be more of like a accommodation for business people. So I thought they'd have like a little kitchenette because what I was really wanting was to be able to get groceries and not just eat out 100% of the time. So I wanted to be able to basically slice an avocado in my apartment. I don't like cooking that much. So me traveling this much never was a problem in terms of missing cooking because I don't like cooking. But I do like occasionally to slice an avocado and have it on crackers or make scrambled eggs or something. And I remember this property that I was gonna stay at in Hawaii didn't have, I just had like a hotel will have spoons for your tea, but it won't have a knife for your avocado slicing needs. And so that kind of stuff was obviously something you get in a kitchen or kitchenette. So for me, hotels were, 
just really in like a trip to another part of the world that I was going to go stay at. But then once I found that new place I was going to stay at for any longer period than like a week, I would definitely choose for the most part. I very rarely ever stayed more than a week in a hotel. Very, very much Airbnbs. And yeah, I didn't use VRBO or any of the other process providers of of accommodation. I never, there's other places I've heard of that do similar things, but for me, it was always Airbnb. And it was just I've always had, I also can say like, I've also had some issues and disappointments in Airbnb and getting money back from Airbnb is not always been the easiest case. I can tell you that, but at the same time, I've never actually been after many calls back and forth, depending on the situations over the years, I've, I've never actually been truly deeply like left without money that I obviously deserved or something from Airbnb. Sometimes it's been very difficult to get back, but it's never been truly like they've taken thousands of dollars and I never stayed there. So it's it's been an interesting time. Airbnb overall, I would say, is okay. And especially it really served the purpose. But there were a few times where the properties would be staged as like looking great in the photos. But when you arrive, they've taken all of the decor out of the property and it's like, wait, all the things that I just decided I wanted to stay with are completely not in there. Like no pillows, no art on the walls, nothing. It was just like emptied out again, essentially. And that obviously was not a very pleasant experience to be staying in for two to three weeks of your life to be living in something that looks like a kind of a modern jail cell. So those kind of moments, there was a few different. I also had a property in Vancouver where it smelled like smoke someone had had a party or someone had smoked in the apartment for a very long time and it was really grim and not pleasant to be in. And so those experiences, getting money back was not easy. But I would say besides those two specific experiences, overall, I've had incredible Airbnb choices and I use my intuition to go with what sparks joy and it all ends up working out. So, I mean, Do your best to follow your intuition. Um, When it comes to where I go and that type of thing, there's usually, I just kind of feel into it versus inner voice dialogue with my intuition on travel. It was pretty straightforward. I didn't have a lot of beanbags about travel, so I didn't have a lot of um, blocks in my mind to knowing what my intuition wanted to do. So often it's much easier to hear your inner voice tell you something when your mind has blocks uh, and emotional fears around stuff. But if you don't have emotional blocks and fears, you just kind of feel the feeling of doing the thing or feel the feeling of not doing the thing. There's just a knowingness in yourself that's directly felt. So most of my experiences of where to stay or where to go were directly felt experiences. Like I felt like this apartment on Airbnb sparked the most joy or this one did. And as I mentioned, those two negative, you could say examples, of Airbnbs, that's amongst how many positive experiences around the world and like six different continents, like a lot. Like I've had 98% success rate, you could say, with using my intuition. But there are two examples where they weren't great. And actually, I remember the one with the knife and the avocado. I was so excited to go to Vancouver. And then I found that smelly apartment and I didn't want to stay. So I left right away and called Airbnb to get the refund. And then I stayed at a hotel, which was demoralizing because yet again, I was there without a knife to cut my avocado. And I called a friend I'd met in a conference in Ibiza, he lived between the Bahamas and Canada. And so because he was part like Canadian and living there, 
and I was in Vancouver, I called him and said I was there. And he had a friend in Vancouver who was trying to rent out her apartment while she was away. And it really flowed. So the Airbnb got me over there. Then after the situation went south with the Airbnb and I was in a hotel, I called Sebastian and then Sebastian put me in touch with his friend who I forget the name of, but she had this adorable little apartment. So I wouldn't have called Sebastian right away and knowing or ever expecting that he'd have this friend. But this friend, we were such manifestations for each other. I needed the place to stay for the week or two I was in Vancouver. She wanted to rent her place. And then she she knew this whole story about the knife and the avocado. And so she left me a cutting board with a sticky note on it with a knife on the cutting board and said, here's for your avocado. It was just like, I almost cried, I think, at that point because of the whole little journey of it. But the flow got me to the perfect place for me. I just had no idea Sebastian knew somebody there until I went through the whole ordeal and then told him what happened. Like this was a fun thing to do. If you have the abundance and the alignment of your intuition, I like booked the flight and left that night from Hawaii to Vancouver. It was a spur of the moment choice. And I just learned, oh yeah, I don't have to accept something that I don't actually like. I'm choosing everything. So if I didn't want to stay in the serviced accommodation place in Hawaii that didn't have a knife, I obviously could have gone somewhere else in Hawaii, but nothing was sparking joy. And for some reason, I wanted to go to Vancouver. I forget exactly what sparked that inspiration. But when I got there, in order to fly overnight, I needed an accommodation the next day. And so that's where I used the Airbnb as my path. But then I flowed out of it. A few days later, I was in this friend's apartment and it was adorable and perfect for me for that period of time. It was up in the clouds and really cute. I remember one of the things as far as packing, you mentioned packing essentials. It's Actually, what I would say is not so much the essentials. Like, I don't have anything exciting. Um, I think that people get exciting about packing lists and ideas of things. But having lived out of the suitcase, in the beginning, I was very minimalist. Personally, I had just a international carry-on size suitcase, a duffel bag, and a backpack. Very young, spunky, <laughs> minimalist. So I had very little stuff. I think I even have, if you go onto YouTube ages ago, years and years ago, I did in Lisbon, like 2017, a little packing. Here's what I have in my in my carry-on. So if you want to see a really minimalist version of me, you could go look at that. Um, one thing I'd say after five years, obviously half a decade, I was not traveling with ca- travel size toiletries. That would be insane. So even in that young time where I had all that little stuff, uh, very little minimal possessions, I still would carry full-size shampoos and conditioners and toothpaste because otherwise I'd be going through all of that stuff every single week, if not sooner, depending on the size of the products. So even though I had an international carry-on size suitcase, which I could have but I still had three objects, the backpack, the duffel bag, and the carry-on. So I would check probably the international travel suitcase, the carry-on. I probably checked that because I had my toiletries and my full-size liquids. So because of the liquids, that would mean that I'd usually check the bag anyway. So it wasn't about saving money on luggage or anything. It was just about what I could carry on my back and on my body to all these different places. But I remember a year into living that minimally, I remember dreading packing up one time just really dreading it because it was just getting so hard to pack it all into those three objects. And I just decided if I'm going to keep following my intuition, I'm upgrading my suitcase. I'm not going to keep using a, a tiny one. So then I started, you know, upscaling. And yeah, I just remember at one point I just wanted options instead of just having one jean, one sweater, one sweatshirt, you know, one thing. So I just started to want to have like choices instead of just the one thing. It would be multiple choices of similar things. 
So you're going to find with your own intuition and your own amount of time traveling what suits you. You could start off really heavy packing and then go lighter or you can go lighter and go heavier like I did. But the thing I was going to point out for me isn't so much the packing essentials. For me, it was bring everything that I love using for my toiletries, bring everything I love to wear. The one thing I would say I found out was not essential that I, as a home liver, didn't do. And then as a traveling life, I did do. And I've realized I like it even when I'm not traveling now, so far at least, is a small wallet. So because I have a few different purses, even in the beginning stages too, this when minimalist obviously works too. I used to grow up with like a really big fat Kate Spade wallet that was big and took up half of a giant tote bag, kind of, you know, one of those big folio style wallets. And I thought they were cute and you could put all of your cards in them. When I started traveling, obviously I didn't need a lot of rewards points and cards for things, library cards and stuff, because I wasn't in any country that would have all those places. So um, since my travel days, I have downsized to just a little card wallet. And especially in the last few years, the trend has been tiny micro purses, even this little card wallet and a lot of my small, small purses doesn't even fit. It takes up too much room. So I'll just like tuck it into the little pocket they have built into the purse itself. But basically I travel with four cards only. I've got my, you know, loyalty card to Liberty of London. And actually I have in my, what's really cute is in my passport, I have a little set of, you know, money, coins, and loyalty cards for different parts of the world. So I have my Opal card from Australia's train um, and ferry system for years in that. And so whenever I was there, I'd pull that out. Or whenever I was in London, I pull out my Liberty of London rewards card, which I technically don't need to have, but I like it looks cute. And that's like the one loyalty card that I use in London regularly. And so, yeah, I just have this little portfolio piece in my passport case that I then, you know, will transfer out like little items. But in Portugal, I didn't have anything. Oh no, I had my coffee card. So I would get my coffee stamps in Portugal at Copenhagen Coffee Lab. So that would be something that I would carry in the little portfolio card holder, but basically realized I did not need a big wallet. That would be something that I would not travel with. And I still don't even live with now that I'm not traveling that way anymore. Um, but the thing I'd say, also clothing, you know, bring what brings you joy. Uh, but what I liked doing was more, what would I buy when I got to a location I was staying for a while? So this is really, I think, a more up-leveled question. It's like, what did you include into your life while you were in a certain place for a longer period of time? And for me, obviously, you probably are aware, I love homes. It's my favorite thing. So the interesting joy and sadness of my travel life was that I loved home so much and they were never really my own. So then my mind could say kind of like it always wanted to decorate its own place and have its own space to call its own. But at the same time, I got to travel to so many beautiful homes. So that was like the flip side. I actually got to really expand my preferences and design tastes through the international travel that I had and got to see a lot of cool design from many different points of view and design around the world. And that was really special and it's probably made my design sense even more unique than it would have been if I never got to live in all those beautiful places. But the, what I would do to make them feel like they were my homes when I got there was I would buy candles and flowers and add them to the place that I was at. So I would go, I remember, even in Vancouver for a week or two, I remember going to a cute home store and finding a cute candle and then putting it on the coffee table. I also would travel with my crystals and little home elements. So I started to create a little micro capsule of home goods that sparked joy for me, but I would buy candles where I was and I would buy flowers where I was. Um, and I guess that's true to say, as far as essentials go, I would, yeah, would carry little crystals, 
obviously not usually pretty major ones because they're pretty heavy. Um, but those were things that sparked joy, just little, you know, like jewelry dishes and little elements that make it feel like I totally relate to Mary Poppins when she's pulling her plant out of the bag and her hat stand and her mirror. Like, it's just so nice to have these elements that you feel make things feel like yours for something as long as five years. Um, but again, this is all relative to my travel and my life. And it evolved over the years that I did it. I wouldn't, you know, have started off doing any of these things when I was in my little carry on life in the beginning, thinking it was only going to be a few months of my life. But as it became more of a, a continuation of things, I really just decided there's no one stopping me other than myself from living fully how I want to live in these places. So, you know, candles, crystals, flowers. Um, incense is something I love now. I even in Australia used it as like a shopping trip for buying home goods that I used in that apartment and then shipped over to London in a suitcase. And now I can use in my new apartments going forward. So definitely just finding little treasures as you go that feel like something you'd want to have in a future home or into the home you're going back to later on is something that you can also do. And I love rearranging the places that I'm at. So that's the other thing I would do is energetically, I'd go through and just put the accessories where I thought they best felt. I noticed that a lot of times people would place things in places that I didn't, I guess you could almost say like feng shui wise, didn't love. So I would I would change things up as I felt that it suited me. And then I would just take pictures or video walkthroughs to remember how to put it back before I left. Okay, let's see. So that's what I'd say. Surprising things we never thought to ask is probably more about like, what did you buy on the in the place that you are at to actually make those places feel even more homely is something I think because otherwise I don't think I have besides my little wallet, um, large scale, you know, skincare and that kind of stuff was just the better products that I could find also. Um, what I found really interesting around the world for five years is I still loved, and I also got used to the best of different products around the world. So then I had to figure out how do I ship things to myself? And I can't say I have a great answer to that. I usually just used my friend's houses that I knew in those areas if I wanted to order something online and have it delivered to a place in the world. So that would be something else. Like I would have orders that I would make for the four and a half months I was in Hawaii, I'd order from, let's say, Aloe Yoga and have it sent to Dory's house. So having addresses, I don't have a perfect answer to that because every location would have a different answer to how to get stuff to be delivered. Um, but that was something that I always was playing with. And even when getting to Portugal and staying there for a few years, the VAT and the customs was so crazy there that figuring out how to get stuff from abroad outside of the EU into the country, and even to my house, I even loved using the service Paco, P-A-C-O in Lisbon. My friends created this company, which was so useful for Portugal, especially because the deliveries there are haphazard at best, shall we say. If anyone, if you know, you know, if you live in Lisbon or Portugal, you know that the delivery system is not what it is in the U.S. U.S. is like next level when it comes to deliveries and accountability, reliability, and, and quickness. That is not what you get in Portugal. And so Paco was a great service to help like be there at all times and have packages delivered to. But that obviously would be more of a living there for a few years answer than a nomadic answer to that. But in the other periods, I just had to be a little bit more crafty to figure out how can I order my favorite skincare if it's not in this part of the place I'm at so that my skin can stay looking its best. Because my skin was so hypersensitive during these years, it was really 
the journey of figuring out what works for my skin because it was breaking out so so badly for so many years. And then, yeah, let's see. As far as destinations, sometimes it would be the feeling of feeling like going somewhere. Um, the other times, though, sometimes I did get like an actual answer. For example, the one that stands out the most to me is the Mayan ruins in Belize. I heard Mayan ruins, Mayan ruins, Belize, Belize, Belize. And then I thought there my inner voice must be talking about Mexico as I was wanting to go thinking about Mexico at the time and Belize. But my friend on the phone, I said, you know, I keep hearing my inner voice say Mayan ruins in Belize. And she goes, you know, there are Mayan ruins in Belize. I had no idea. It was mind blowing when she said that because I didn't know anything about Belize. I just kept hearing the name in my inner voice and the Mayan ruins thing. And when she said that, I was like, oh my God, I think I'm supposed to go to the Mayan ruins in Belize. And so that actually created a whole like amazing adventure. So I book a hotel in the Belize and then I get there and I get in the car during heavy COVID times. So at that time, like only 20 people were at this big, beautiful adventure resort. And it was like minimal capacity, like 5% of its capacity was there. You could know everybody that was at the hotel at the same time because there were so few people. And I was there because my inner voice told me to go. So there I was. And the guy picks me up from the airport, the shuttle man for the hotel at the airport. And he goes, okay, so what do you want to do when you're here? And I said, well, I, I told him my inner voice said, I need to go to the Mayan ruins. And so I was like, where are the best Mayan ruins? Like, <laughs> show me your best Mayan ruins. Where are that? And he said, oh, well, the best ones we don't typically go to. And I was like, oh, well, that's a bit of a bummer. I wanted to go, if I'm going all the way to this country, I didn't even know anything about. It seemed kind of appropriate to go to whatever would be the best of the of the ruins my inner voice apparently wanted to see. And they ended up out of the blue without me even pushing for it or anything. I just seemed excited about this place he said, which was the best. I was like, oh, well, I'm love to go to the best one if I could. Um, they ended up uh, arranging it for me out of five years that the guy worked at the resort. I think probably because he had a lot of time in his hands and very few clients to please. <laughs> he just said me and a few other people. He decided to arrange it so that I could go to the really special ones. I forget the name of them now, but it was incredible. It was like I was on my own little Indiana Jones adventure and as Flo would have it, I met, and this is actually in Flowing Up. So if you want the whole story, go there to listen. But I ended up meeting somebody from a past life at the top of the Mayan ruins in Belize. And I'll share the you know, rest of the story, save it for the um, flowing up since that's not the topic of this, this little episode. But that was incredible. Like I met somebody I'd known before. My inner voice said he was my boyfriend in a past life. And it really was just a magical reunion. <laughs> like the most ridiculous, like we were the only two people at this ruin at the same time. It was so wild. It, it's a really fun story. So go listen to that if it feels fun. Um, but yeah, that was so crazy. My inner voice just wanted to go see its old boyfriend. <laughs> and I think that my gift for that person coming back into my life at a period of time was that he was kind of looking for what was next in his life. And when he met me or re met me, you could say, he was like, oh my God, like I was supposed to meet you. I needed to know. I think I kind of, if you know spiral dynamics, I talk about that yellow phase. I was there to kind of help boost him from green to yellow just by our encounter and interactions and where I was coming from and talking from that inspired him to like kind of, it was not 
the only reason, but I think he was, that was like part of the, the, the journey for him to go into that new era of himself and his own consciousness was in part like welcomed through the experience of meeting me and, and in reconnecting, I guess you could say. So it was really cool. That was, that was pretty epic. So definitely don't avoid doing some grand adventure if your inner voice wants to flow with it. Um, another way of doing it too, that was not so, specifically majestic, you could say, but more on the average day-to-day moves and travels. I would often, as you guys know, I love aligned numbers. So I'd often buy flights if I had no time constraints or real choice, if I had like any option works, right? I would usually pick if I'm looking at six different flights, obviously I choose kind of what feels nice. Do I like to fly? Do I feel like flying in the morning that day or night? You know, it depends on the day, but I would also look for repeating numbers in the flight numbers or in the time frames that things took or the takeoff times, that kind of stuff. So often I would use those little Easter eggs, these little little hints of, of alignment to help boost me into a choice. I can also just use my inner voice and I'll say this one, but sometimes I would use the numbers as part of that indication process. And that was something I also used on a more regular basis than just like the Mayan ruins in Belize. Usually I rotated between a lot of similar countries that I'd been to before. So I spent the majority of my time between countries like South Africa and Cape Town specifically. Uh, Bali was something I went back to a few times. Australia, a lot of times, a lot of times. London a ton of times. And then obviously Detroit was something that, a place that I went to frequently before and after having that property in Detroit, because I really enjoy that part of the country where I grew up and spent most of my childhood. And I just think Detroit's a really fun place um, that feels a bit like my home from the US or still is. And it's funny though, I spent seven or eight years living in Chicago in my 20s. So you would think almost that that would be a place I'd travel back to more, but I only think I went to Chicago twice over the five years. So really, and I probably did Detroit six or seven times and even bought a condo there. So it was interesting to see. I occasionally went to New York, you know, especially New York's great to fly in and out of. So is LA, Um, LA for Australia. So if you're in America trying to get to Australia, there's direct flights out of LAX. So that's another tip I would say is if you're going to really big different places, one of the things I found for the US specifically, if I was in the US and then I was going to go to Australia, I often would just buy a flight from wherever I was in the US to LAX and a morning flight. And then I'd have, because usually the international flights take off in the evenings, like 8 or 10 p.m. So then I would sit around all day at the airport and then I would take off on a direct flight from LAX to Sydney. So I would always book my daytime flight from let's say Detroit to LAX and I get there. I'd like to have a really healthy, long annoyingly long buffer, just in case the flight to LAX was delayed. I've never thankfully knock on wood had a flight canceled because obviously that would affect the direct flight I also purchased, but I could save a lot of money going through a single direct purchase. I also would say this too. Uh, there's another tip, but there are some tips in me um, that are more specific. Um, I prefer overall the international flights to be 
run by international carriers, not American carriers. So I obviously have a Delta as a Detroit previously living person, I have a Delta reward system. So I obviously, when I'm in the US would often go default to Delta because of the hub and my points and all that kind of status that I had from traveling so much. But when it comes to, for example, going to Australia, I find, I love going to Australia because the flight situation, because it's so long haul for them at all times, everywhere. They really make the best. I mean, I guess probably there's the Emirates, United Arab Emirates flights are probably incredible too at really high thresholds. But I found that for like premium economy, oh my goodness, the best status of a premium economy kind of flight is like Air New Zealand, incredible. And even Qantas and Virgin Australia, which I'm sad that Virgin Australia is not doing at the moment international flights because that was probably my favorite even before Qantas. But I love to fly Qantas or Air, like Virgin Australia or Air New Zealand if I'm going to that part of the world because there's just so much better food, quality, experience, seats, the whole thing is just better. Um, the US, I would only default to as a domestic carrier, but not in any, no international. Like I would never want to be on like a Delta flight to Paris like that. I don't mind if my points work, but I'd rather be on Air France than a US one. Overall, I find that the cost cutting measures of a US flight are more extreme than the international carriers for other places. But that's obviously also, there's probably still some worse international carriers. You got to kind of do some research to figure out. You can like Google this stuff to find out like what premium economy varies dramatically between different airlines and even different planes that those airlines fly. So if you feel like getting a little bit curious, and obviously these things matter less when you're either on a huge budget. And so you're like, okay, well, I can only afford this ticket. So then it just kind of simplifies things or if you're taking shorter flights, it obviously is less important. But when I was doing these really big flights like to Australia or taking 24 hour travel days with two giant flights from like Singapore to London or yeah, Australia to Singapore, Singapore to London, like those kind of big long parts of, of more than a day, I really appreciated being in the best environment I could. So I would spend that little extra time um, figuring out. And also I would say, just when in doubt, make the loyalty <laughs> account <laughs> with those carriers. I didn't really spend a lot of um, time personally focusing on points or anything. I'm sure many people could have like used what I did in a much more effective way. I could have probably got upgraded if I was with a partner that loved to like do the points thing. That's not my strength. But I look back, even if I just flowed the way I did flow, which was just what flight feels best right now and is the best overall experience I might be able to have and afford at the price I'm wanting to pay for this flight. And I would just pick a premium economy, long haul flight, from the best carrier I could find. I still kind of look back, I'm like, God, enough times that I went to these places, I could have had more points and maybe some more rewards, even if I just made not just a Delta rewards miles person, but also a few of these other carriers. Because when you're really going around the world and you're not just focusing on the strategies of the best for you, the carrier you're specifically loyal to, you can, over time, really accumulate from a lot of different places I found. Um, but I didn't really take advantage of that. So I just was in, and it's fine. It's just looking back on it, I probably could have gotten a bit more perks out of um, all the flights that I did do than what I got out of it. Cause I wasn't focused on that other than Delta. 
All right. So I think that's all the things I can have for you, which is just, you know, use your intuition, ask your inner voice, like, should I stay at this place or not? If you're curious and you're on the fence about it or inner voice, how many days do you want to stay or when do you want to leave? You can ask your inner voice those for answers that you can hear inside yourself, or you can go with the knowingness route, which is what I mentioned I did most of the time because I didn't have any big bean bags to have to work around. So I just kind of had a nudge inside of myself that this felt right, or this felt right, or this felt best. And sometimes certain places took a while for me to love. It took me a good seven weeks to fall in love with Bali. I did the month I was in Bali the first time, and that Actually, I I had a really deep experience there, but I didn't come back for many, many more years. And then when I finally did go back, the first three weeks was still kind of tough to re- acclimatized to the whole, you know, environments, uh, just tropically so hot and just, it's a totally different vibe than other places like London or Australia. So getting used to all of that, I almost left it at one point just cause like the insects and the heat and just everything felt overwhelming at a certain point. And I was about to leave, but my intuition actually gave me a bunch of little Easter egg, little nice synchronicities and alignments. Show me how to find an air conditioned, um, cafe when I needed it and different little things that made my life and stay as I stayed another, I don't know, another like several weeks after that, I really started to love it. So it took a while to really fall into understanding about that place and how I could love it. But most other places was pretty straightforward. And yes, I did go to more dramatic places in terms of um, a little bit more adventurous or rustic and stuff like Ghana and so forth. But those places, I was with people that were locals because I was doing the Pencils of Promise uh, opening of the school and that kind of thing. So I was always in places I always felt safe because I never flowed by, through my intuition anywhere that I didn't feel safe. The only place I would say that I noticed safety was a major concern itself was, well, actually Kenya. When I went to Kenya, there was a terrorist attack in Nairobi the day before I booked the tickets. Um, so that was you know, an interesting one. But I, again, was traveling with a person who invited me on the trip to go on a safari. On our fourth date was a safari trip for nine days. How cool is that? <laughs> Manifested a free safari as a fourth date. Um, amazing flow and manifestation. But he, because of his business and work, we were going on a work trip and then doing the safari for him. So we had um, guests, we were guests of his business cohorts in Kenya. And so they were obviously very seasoned with everything that we needed, driving us around, et cetera. So we were always very safe while we were there. And actually the only time I almost died on the whole thing was actually returning from Kenya in Detroit. We got an Uber on the way back from the airport and it was a blizzard. And there was a guy that was our Uber driver from Qatar who had never driven in a blizzard before. And he spun us out over five, four lanes of traffic into the middle of I-70, I think it was I-75 in Detroit. And we just landed in the middle of the snowbank. And we, if there was any cars behind us as we were spinning out, we would have just been smashed. Uh, but we were at, thankfully at the end of a burst of traffic. So we were looking at all these cars coming meters and meters behind us slowly because of the blizzard conditions. So as we were spinning, no one hit us. And then a car saw us in the middle of the medium. Two guys jumped out. I feel like if I ever had angels besides Gabriel and the rip current recently, it was these two men. They pushed us out of the snowbank and then we were on the road and we were back 
going. But that's actually when we almost died, not with elephant stampedes or lions or, you know, any of the things that we saw that could have killed us in the safari, not with all the major guns and crazy, um, intense security measures that were happening in Nairobi or the terrorist attacks that had just occurred. It was actually getting home in an Uber from the Detroit airport to Detroit. That was when we almost died. So it really goes to show also when it comes to the idea of safety in different places, obviously use your intuition as a guide, but there's no guarantee you're any more safe in one place or another uh, because literally our near-death experience was coming home from the trip, not uh, on the trip itself. So you never know. It doesn't make any one place more or less safe, but Cape Town would be the place I would, I would flag as... I haven't been back since the pandemic. I was there, like I mentioned, just before it. And that I would be, I noticed it was something to be aware of there, especially because everyone, if you get to know South Africans, will talk about direct or almost immediate family experiences that were dramatically unsafe and dramatically terrifying. (laughs) And so knowing that that level of this many people that I would be surrounded by had had or knew like their mothers or their sisters or their friends had had dramatically difficult experiences. Not always like, I think it's fine to go for a few weeks, few months, a year, but if you're really going to actually settle down there, everyone that knows, knows that lives there, you know, you've got to really be on top of safety. Um, But even that said, I always stayed in the best places and was smart about my choices. So I never had any um, negative flow in that space. But I did take note because the locals themselves didn't feel safe in many cases, or they were on high alert, you could say, at many times in many scenarios because they were aware of so many things that could happen. So learning from those people was really good to know like what was a benefit to do and what wasn't. But of course, my intuition also kept me safe. So all is well, but uh, your intuition can guide you just as well. And, you know, there's no there's no place in the world, especially now even the U.S. itself, is not any more or less safe than many other places. In fact, actually coming, let's say if you're American traveling to Europe, just like the lack of many things that America is dealing with right now, it makes the place as a overall whole a lot more peaceful and relaxed. So you still have to be aware of like petty theft and everything like that. I've never had any concerns or any issues with anything being stolen, knock on wood, or anything unsafe ever happening for me. But again, intuition's been my guide. And that's what I would say for yourself as well. Keep going back to your intuition, stay where intuition wants to stay, flow with your intuition where it wants to go. And yeah, enjoy the ride, I would say more than anything. Out of all of the experiences, it's really fun to talk about those details. But for me, those details are all the surface level, but the real experiences that I experience most as I think back to my travels are the inner levels that I shifted within myself, being by myself for so much of that time. um, That was just incredible. And one of my favorite things to collect on the travels, if you're curious, is vocabulary. So that, as you get to know locals in different places, like for example, South Africa, I remember the guy Barry that I dated there taught me the word shaw. Sure. It's a word. That's a word if you're not not familiar. S-J-O-E. Sure. It's a really good South African word. It has a lot of different uses you could use it for. And that was really fun as one of those pieces that it's like a it's a 
tourist gift that keeps on giving because it's an experience you had and it's something you can bring with you everywhere you go that costs nothing, takes up no room in your suitcase and is something that shifts your experiences in life going forward. But yeah, it doesn't, it, you never have to give it away. Let's see what else. Um, what's an, I even like love like the adopting the British language, obviously of Britain is fun because I love the word grim. Grim, I just think is such a great word. I don't, I guess Americans would have like gross, but grim is, is really good and brilliant. That's a fun one. Australia has got some great ones. Arvo, A-R-V-O. Why is the world not using Arvo to mean afternoon? <laughs> so I remember my meetup with the Australians, they tried to explain to me all the shortening of different words. And one of them is this afternoon is the Sarvo. So T-H apostrophe A-R-V-O. So if you wanna say, hey, let's meet up this afternoon, instead of saying this afternoon, you say this Arvo or Arvo, A-R-V-O. And it just, it's just is shorter. It's, it's a nice word to use instead of afternoon, but if you use it to other people that don't know what it means, it just sounds like crazy talk or misspelling. So anyways, yeah, vocabulary is probably my favorite thing to collect, but, and then jewelry was fun too, because jewelry is very lightweight. So even if the cost of it, if you get something more expensive, like gold or, or a metal or a stone, it could be pricey, but the weight of it was something that I could really afford to carry in my suitcases. Shoes were much more expensive in a travel sense because they took up way more space in my suitcases and took up way more weight of what I could physically carry. So a ring that might cost 10 times a pair of shoes was a much easier travel purchase or or gift to myself than a shoe because a pair of shoes, depending on this, are boots. Oh my goodness. Now you're really getting luxuriously outrageous if you think about the weight of the objects. Um, the other thing that's tricky when you travel around the world is having different needs for different, completely different climates. And so you just kind of do your best to figure it out and you leave some clothes with certain people and you go pick them up when you can or you buy new and you go, you know, you just kind of do your best. There's no magical answer for any of those kinds of things other than just going with what flows with you in the moment. And um, as always, as I love to do, gift away to people that you meet along the way, the things that um, they can use that you may not be needing to use in the next leg of your own journey. So yeah, there you have it, my friends. I hope that was enjoyable. And yeah, it was fun to check in with you and just share all these little details and kind of reflect on those years of travel. Um, as I mentioned now, I'm a certainly a maximalist packer, even now to the point where if I would need to ship stuff and coming actually from Australia, I shipped a suitcase or two ahead of time. And there are services that do that. That's another tip. Last tip, luggage forward, I think was what it was called, luggageforward.com. There's probably other alternative services that do the same thing, but you can do this. I did this also in Hawaii too, at one point to ship stuff from Hawaii to Portugal as I was going on to Mexico. And I didn't want to take all the stuff that I had in Hawaii to Mexico. I took what I needed for Mexico to Mexico. And I took what I didn't need for Mexico and sent it ahead of myself over to Portugal. And I did the same here to London. I had four suitcases, I think at that time. So I didn't want to travel with all of that. And I sent it, by the way, other top tip, another top tip. If you're going to Australia and you are going to go over the luggage right now, it's like 80 Australian dollars a kilogram on your overage fees. So I think I spent 600 Aussie dollars on 15 pounds of extra stuff in my luggage that I had that I should have probably just put in one of those other suitcases I mentioned. Uh, so 
top tip, if you are traveling to or well, out of Australia, oh my goodness, make sure you are not over or do some culling or ship ahead because it can be crazy expensive. So I'm really happy I sent the other suitcase or two before myself, but even what I did have apparently uh, was obviously over enough to cost an arm and a leg. So that was, I wouldn't call that a flow. I call that an experience that I had in the flow of my life, but I would not say that was like the greatest thing, but luggage forward is good to know about if you are gonna, also it's great for people that go, let's say you're in Europe, you're going on a ski trip and then you're gonna go for some reason to something tropical and you don't need all your ski clothes going to the tropical location, it can really help to just send your, ski clothes home back to the country you're going back to or onward ahead of you so that you can just take what you actually need in terms of the stuff for the trip that you're actually on. So that can maybe help you out there too. All right. So there you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this. And by all means, send over any other little topics you'd like to have in the Get Ready With Me series. It's now an hour long. Here we are. (laughs) But uh, yeah, hopefully this helps you in your nomadic journey and ultimately just helps you realize there are no rules. Things can change. How you start does not have to be how you always do things. And you can ebb and flow as you go. And so there you have it, my friends. Until next time, may something wonderful happen to you today. (laughs) 